to turn in our Bibles and quit. What a great day for us to gather together as the body of Christ. Amen? I can't think of a day that's not a great day to gather with the body of Christ. I love being with the people of God. There is something about gathering together in corporate worship. There's something about being together and studying God's Word in Bible study, in preaching the Word of God and hearing preaching, in giving offerings to the Lord and praying together corporately. All of those things coming together give to me such a sense of encouragement it's like a, a tune-up right here to begin the week as I face difficulty this week if I face challenges this week knowing that I'm going to spend time with you with God's people gives me great encouragement there's a name given among men whereby no one will ever be saved apart from and that name is Jesus as we've heard that song today, as we've considered, contemplated the name of Jesus, I wonder today what he means to you. I honestly, earnestly, what does Jesus Christ mean to you? Is it just a part of your life that you would come to church and be a part of services like this? Is it just a part of your life, maybe even that you would read a passage of devotional thought every day and, and it might kind of steer your thinking a little bit or is it that he is your one consuming passion that you recognize that Jesus Christ is your life the Bible says that Paul said I am crucified with Christ and I I don't even live anymore I no longer live but Christ lives in me he came to the place where he could say that my life is so impacted by that life of Christ so infused by his resurrected life that I simply rest crucified in the life that I now live, I just live by faith in Him, the Son of God who loved me, gave Himself for me. Today I want to talk to you about the subject of marriage. I want to talk to you about gospel-shaped marriages. Now, anytime we come to a message like this, we're in a series that we've called No Place Like Home, and the context for the series, for those of you that have not been with us, is very simple. God designed the home to be the, the place where disciples are made. He designed the home to be the place where illustrated pictures of His gospel and His plan are implanted right there in those relationships. And so as we talk about marriage, I can say this with confidence. Some of you immediately get anxious when the pastor mentions marriage as the topic of the day. And here's why. Some of you are single. You're living alone. You're not in a relationship with someone else. Perhaps not yet, or perhaps you're single again. And you begin to get anxious when you hear that I'm going to preach on marriage because you feel like you'll be excluded. You'll feel like some way you'll be left out. Well, I want to speak a word to you very quickly, if I may. If you're not married here today, if you're not yet married, or perhaps you're single again through divorce or through being widowed, through loss or a widower, I want to speak a word to you. The scriptures that we're talking about are here given 
for all of us. And we're going to see very practical application for every single one of our lives. And so as we look together at Ephesians chapter 5, in fact, I invite your attention there. Turn to Ephesians 5. We're going to look at a scattering of verses from 1 to 33. But as we look at Ephesians 5, you'll see that you will not be excluded. And the reason that you will not be excluded is because God has a calling for all of our lives, regardless of your marital status, whether you're single, married, widowed, divorced, single again. In those contexts, there's a calling on your life. In fact, verses 1 and 2 express that calling. Let's just start there so that we can make sure that what we're doing in terms of qualifying this message resonates with you. If you're single here today, for whatever circumstance, this applies to you. Verse 1, Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, regardless of your marital status, there's a calling on your life to walk in love in Christ Jesus. All of us are given that mandate. This is a command for you and for me. Walk in love. Your life ought to be a reflection of the love of Jesus Christ. And so as we talk about this today, in the the applied context of marriage, you'll see that it fits all of us. And maybe you're aspiring to be married one day, so hopefully you can take some of these thoughts and principles and recognize the the stamp that God has put upon marriage as an illustration for the gospel. You see, as we think about our God, God is so creative. We're going to see, in fact, three different pictures today that, that demonstrate how God gives us these visible images, and it's pretty powerful to think about. But marriage has been talked about so very much in different contexts. I, I read some statements by several comedians. In fact, uh, one of the ones, Mark Twain, said several things about marriage. Listen to these words, and, and I want you to see how it's easy for us to poke fun at marriage, but, but the sad reality is that when we do so, maybe it's that we're misunderstanding the significance, the importance, and the the weight in which marriage carries in pointing people to the gospel. Mark Twain said this, marriage is not a word, it's a sentence, a life sentence. Might have been okay until he added that last part. He said, all men are born free, but some of them get married. Another one, Ray Romano actually said this. He said, I never knew what true happiness was until I got married. And by then it was too late. That's not good. Romano also said this. He said, when a man holds a woman's hand before marriage, it is love. When a man holds a woman's hand after marriage, it's in self-defense. Another said this about marriage, love is holding hands in the street, marriage is holding argument, uh, love is holding hands on the street, and marriage is holding arguments in the street. I I don't know that those things are are good for us to consider this morning, but but a lot has been said about marriage, and, and we joke at someone that's going toward marriage that they're giving up their freedoms and they're losing their freedoms, but but I say this often at weddings, that marriage teaches us this lifestyle of selflessness that we learn to sacrifice and we learn that God has given us a very clear picture of marriage through the gospel and we're going to see that in our text today and as we do hopefully this will begin to point out some things for us you know as we think about this some of you are nervous like I said because you feel like you'll be excluded some of you today are nervous 
as I talk about marriage because you feel ashamed. You feel like you've not been what you should be as a husband or as a wife. Maybe you feel like in some way you failed in that relationship. And the purpose of this whole series and the purpose of this message is not to load you up with guilt, but to build you up with hope. And so what I want to do beginning right off the bat is to read the text, and then we're going to come back together and filter through and begin to consider how the gospel shapes marriage and how marriage points toward the gospel. If you will, join me in verse 22 and following. Verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to or cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he goes on and Paul says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot to see here. Love and respect and submission and leadership and honor and sanctification. Here's what I want to do. I want to begin with a marriage definition. And I'm going to give it to you in two parts. And as we look at this defined, I want you to consider this. The very first part is this. Marriage is the union of two sinners. Marriage is the union of two sinners. Now, when I say that, some of you might be depressed by that. That means very literally the best you can ever hope for is to be united to a sinner. Now, some of you say, well, I didn't marry a sinner. I married Mr. Right. I just didn't know until after we got married that his first name was always, you know. And he thinks that way, that he's always right. In your life, you are married to a sinner. But guess what? So is your spouse. Marriage is the union of imperfect people. We are fallen creatures. We are made in the image of God, yes, but that image is marred because of our sin, our choices, and our practice of sin. And because of that, as we look at this, this could bring us to a place of depression and despair. But let me give you the second part of this. You see, marriage is the union of two sinners, and that's why there never will be a perfect measure. But there is hope in your marriage because of the second part. Marriage is the union of two sinners in whom God's grace is at work. In whom God's grace 
is at work. Jesus Christ said, my Father is at work. Up until now, he has been working, and I too am working. The Father is always at work. Those of you that have ever studied experience in God, recognize that principle that God is always at work. And so the encouragement here is that God is at work in the lives of those united sinners in marriage. Now, this ought to bring to us a unique thing. Let's put that whole statement together if we can. Let's read this together. Everybody read with me. Marriage is the Let's all read it together. That was about half of you. Marriage is the union of two sinners in whom God's grace is at work. Now, let me give you two thoughts here. That definition ought to bring humility and hope. It ought to bring humility because you recognize that the best you can ever achieve in marriage is that you will be united to a sinner and that your spouse will be married to a sinner. And that ought to be very humbling to us. There's not going to be a perfect marriage because you cannot obtain perfection. But it also ought to bring hope to you because God's grace is at work. Now, hear me in this. I want you to hear it. Some of you might say immediately, I worried about that second part of the definition because my spouse is not a believer. My spouse is not a Christian. And so for you to say that God's grace is at work in my marriage makes me nervous because I just see myself as united to a sinner. Can I say this? Your spouse may not be a believer. They may be lost. But so too once were you. And God brought you to faith. And God can work in the heart and the life of your unbelieving spouse. God can bring him or her to Christ. You begin to pray for that spouse. But as we consider this notion of marriage together, as we think about how there is no place like home, God has brought us together. If you are married to someone who is not a Christian, God's grace is still at work. I'll say it this way. You're not married to an angel, but you're not married to the devil either. So just take some comfort in that somewhere in the middle. As we think about this idea, you can be realistic that it will never be perfect. That's okay. That ought to bring some humility. Your marriage is not going to be perfect. But you can be encouraged that it's never hopeless, that God is involved. And the title of today's message, The Gospel-Shaped Marriage, ought to share with us this sense that the gospel should shape every part of our lives, every place in our lives, every relationship, especially marriage. Now, notice with me the order. Husbands should love their wives as how? Christ loved the church. I'm so thankful that the scripture doesn't say that Christ loves the church the way that husbands love their wives. I'm extremely thankful that it doesn't say Christ is to love the church the way that Scott loves his wife. Because I know my imperfections. Sometimes we don't do it right. Sometimes we mess it up. We get it wrong. But the Bible tells us that we have a pattern. We have a blueprint, if you will. I love this this idea that he's a template for us. He is a pattern, a model. And so I would say this. If you want to know how to relate to your wife, or if you want to know how to respond to your husband, then you begin to think deeply about these things. Husbands, men, if you want to know how to relate to your wife, think deeply about how Christ loves the church. Wives, if you want to consider how you are to respond to your husband, then begin thinking deeply about how the church ought to respond 
to Christ, the head, the groom of the church. Now, as you think about that, you begin to think about those dimensions of, of the depth of his love and sacrifice. You see, God wants your marriage to be an expression of the union between Christ and the church. That's the beauty of this picture. God is illustrative. I have been uh, greatly picked on over the years. When I was in Idaho, they, they picked on me about being from the South. They said, I bet all of your textbooks in seminary had pictures in them. And I said, yeah, most of them did, thankfully. I needed that. I, I'm a little slow on the uptake, but I do understand some things, and I understand pictures. And God painted a picture for us in this, that marriage is a picture of the faithfulness of God. That's why when he revealed himself as the bridegroom and the church as his bride, and here in this text especially, begins to elaborate on how marriage is a display of the church. That's why we understand that God hates divorce. It's not that he hates people that are divorced. He loves them. He loves all people. But the reality of divorce is that it tears away at this picture. And there's such a picture of faithfulness from God. And that's why the standard and the pattern is there first. Husbands, love your wives this way. Wives, relate and respond to your husbands this way as the church would respond to Christ. Now, as we think about this, I want us to ask just very quickly this point. I want you to walk through this with me. In the text, there are three beautiful pictures that help us see how this is applied in our lives. And again, if you feel excluded because I'm talking about married folks, recognize this is more about the gospel than it is about marriage. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ ought to be displayed in our lives. And so if you're single or single again, this applies to you. You're called to walk in love. You're called to be a reflection of Christ. Let me give you three very quick pictures. The first one is the picture of light. The picture of light. Turn with me, if you will, to verse 8. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, that doesn't have to just apply to marriage. This applies across the board. What a wonderful statement for every Christian. You were in darkness, and now you're a reflection of the light. Let me illustrate it this way. It's a lot like the moon. The moon does not have light on its own. It reflects the light of the sun, even when the sun is hidden from plain sight. You as a Christian, me as a Christian, we ought to live our life as a reflection of the light of Jesus. Your life ought to be one that would light up the path for other people to know God. And your marriage ought to be a light. Now, I want you to see this. This is kind of an interesting thought. There are different kinds of light. There is light that attracts, and there's light that sort of beckons us toward a path. But there's also light that repels. There's the light of the torturer, that searchlight that is placed in someone's eyes, and, and they draw back from it. They retreat from it. They move away from it. No one wants to live in a searchlight. So I want to ask you a question, husbands and wives, what kind of light are you? I would imagine that the Apostle Paul was probably, as he writes here, thinking back to how God blinded him with light and got his attention. But I'm so thankful that the light of Jesus is such that he reveals to us what's wrong. Not all at one time, 
All of us have felt that sense of conviction, I imagine, at some point in time or another. You felt the light shining into your heart, and you knew that there was something there that did not belong. It's like turning on the light and seeing a, a, a roach or bug scamper from the darkness, or turning a rock over and they scatter because they don't like being exposed in the light. I, I want us to be the kind of light, like the Word of God, that lights up our path. The Bible says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. You see, here's what I want you to get out of this. In marriage, your spouse is surrounded by the light of your life. Maybe, just maybe, you're pointing out faults all the time and exposing faults. Can I be just transparent with you as a faith family for a moment? I'm thankful for the gentleness of my wife. She knows me and loves me anyway. She's not constantly trying to expose every fault of my heart and my life. What kind of light are you? Nobody wants to live in a searchlight. And the Bible says here, you were in darkness and now you have come to the light of Christ. You've received it. Christ's light has shined on you. And because of that, your life ought to guide them in that direction. It ought to light up the way. It ought to shine light gently on your path. You see, in marriage, you become known. And the amazing thing about it is that it's wonderful because we're made in the image of God, but it's scary because we're fallen. There are places in my heart, attitudes in my heart that are just not healthy. Let me say it this way. If you're not married, what kind of light are you to your coworkers or to your classmates or to your neighbors? Are you shining light around you in such a way that would attract people to the gospel or repel them from it? Now, I can honestly say this. Many of you understand this from my childhood. You lived in a searchlight. It was like a Q-beam. I mean, you think about it. You could say, there was Bible, and there was truth, but there wasn't much love or grace or patience. And you've reacted to that. I would bet if I spent time with many of you, maybe even subconsciously you reacted to that. You had this strict and stern upbringing of light and truth, but not seasoned with grace. And maybe you're so fearful that you'll put your kids off that you don't even pray with them. Maybe you've gotten to the place where there's no light in your life. You're not in the Word, and the Word's not in your marriage. Can I encourage you that you need to become that kind of gentle light that beckons people on? Because what did he say? He says, do your best to discern what pleases the Lord. Let me ask you very simply, aren't you thankful that the Lord, who knows you fully, loves you still? Amen? And his light is not there to condemn, but to cleanse. His light disinfects and moves in our lives, beckoning us forward. Here's the truth that I want you to get. It's not in your notes, but I want you to hear it. The truth of this whole series, I've spent almost eight weeks talking about the family. We've talked about marriage and parenting and discipleship. Here's the truth of this whole No Place Like Home series. The light of Christ should shine bright in every marriage, every home, and every family, but it shines 
and should shine in a way that attracts, not repels. God established my families, my home, my marriage to be a beacon lighthouse for the gospel. You once were in darkness and now you're in the Lord. Will you follow through this week and teach your kids or your grandkids about the love and the light of Jesus? The kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance? Let me give you the second picture. The second picture is that of water. The picture of water. Look at verses 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. You see, the Christian believer is one who's been washed by Christ. Here's another picture for you. Baptism pictures this. Baptism gives us a great picture of it in that we see that we are cleansed by Jesus. We know that baptism doesn't do the cleansing. Jesus does. But again, God is illustrative, and he says that water cleanses, and he calls us to be baptized, to identify with Christ. I love that picture. But, but here's something that I want you to gather as we consider this. My life ought to be cleansing in my wife's life. Just as Christ cleanses the church, husband, your life should be a cleansing effect for her. Let me say something really, really strange. I'll put it on the screen. Your life is the water in which your spouse bathes. Christ cleanses us and keeps us clean. He continues to cleanse us. The washing of the water of the Word. Nobody wants to bathe in dirty water. Let me say it this way. Husbands, what's in your life will rub off on your wife. Wives, what's in your life and in your heart will rub off on your husband. Look at that in the text. Cleansing her by the washing of the water of the word. Just like there are different kinds of light, there are different kinds of water. Growing up as close as we are to the Gulf Coast, I I remember on several precarious occasions on the Biloxi and Gulfport beaches, there are buried deep, deep, deep beneath the water sewer pipes. And they go miles out into the water. And on occasion, those pipes have ruptured. And it's quite an engineering feat to go back and have to fix those pipes. I'll never forget. I'm not sure if I got a picture of this or not, if the picture showed up. Yeah, this was a picture I saw several years ago in Biloxi. It says, the beach is closed, no swimming. Now, I cannot think of a more unnecessary sign that I've ever seen in my life. If you had been on the beach that day and experienced the rupture that had occurred not far from the shoreline and realized exactly how bad the water is, none of you would say, hey, I think today would be a great day for a cool dip in the water. (laughs) No thanks, I'm good. I'm going back to the pool or the shower. I'm not going swimming today. Nobody wants to bathe in dirty water. Let me say this to men. Let me speak to your hearts for just a moment. If there is no other motivation in life for you to give up pornography, the statement that I made a moment ago is enough. 
Your life is the water that your spouse bathes in. Now, why am I mentioning something like that? Because impurity is such a rampant part of our society today. And I may not be speaking to everybody, but I want you to understand that your life will impact. What's in your heart will rub off on her. And if there's impurity, and there's a dangerous, dangerous cycle, and we could spend time here, but we're not going to stay there too long. But there, there are men who say there's impurity in my life because there's no intimacy in my home. And then the woman often says there's no intimacy in my home because there's, no, there, there's an impurity. And it's a deadly cycle, and at some point you need to let the water of the Word of God wash through your heart and cleanse you so that your life will be made right and pure. Interesting, before you women become too smug and real, that I'm calling all the men sinners there's equal opportunity let's go back in the text together look at verse 3 but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among saints look at that sexual immorality and he goes on he says or greed You see, it's about grabbing from the heart things that you want and an idea of greed, an idea of of lust, an idea of, of focusing on things you want. Paul said there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of greed. And, and I just want to pause here and, and say God here through the Holy Spirit tells Paul to write that impurity and greed are put right next to one another. And here's why. Because it's an I am never satisfied mentality. And if your life is filled with anything that says that, I'm never satisfied. It takes a little bit more. A little bit more pleasure, a little bit more money, a little bit more possession, then your life will destroy your marriage. You see, this is the fundamental issue that all of us deal with in coming to Christ. We're looking for something to bring satisfaction, and only Christ satisfies. So whether you're single or married, this applies. This is about the gospel and a marriage that's founded on this understanding that God's grace is at work in the midst of a union between two sinners. The gospel is displayed to the watching world, that we're redeemed. We used to be in darkness, but now we're in light, and we find satisfaction there. I find satisfaction in that relationship with my wife because God gave her to me. And my role ought to be light that leads her in the path of godliness. And my life ought to be water that washes and cleanses her and makes her more like Jesus. Here's what I would say. I don't know how many of you like coffee very much or tea very much. Some of you might like one or the other. But have you ever steeped tea or done maybe French press coffee where you were were steeping it and letting it sit and just continue to grow and grow and grow in its firmness and its strength and it just becomes wonderful. I, I can describe coffee and just get real excited about that. Nobody else is excited with me, maybe a few of you. Sometimes Jesse makes coffee around here or or the ladies in the office and I'll look at it and I'll say, that looks like sweet tea to me. I could stand waist deep in it and see my toes wiggle. Make some coffee. If you can't paint with it, it's not worth drinking. Amen? I knew somebody out there would help me with that. And then there are people like Scott Pittman that come make it real fruity and cute and frilly and frou-frou and he drinks a little bit of coffee with his milk and that kind of thing. He makes milkshakes. But for me... When I think of steeping tea and it gets darker and darker, here's the question for you. If your wife has had to spend 20 years steeping in the water of your life, what's she like? Is she more sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God? Is she cynical? 
Have you been negative wives and your husband is steeping in negativity and it's like drip, 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 drip and every time he comes home he just finds himself frustrated and it builds an animosity? You see, our lives are given in marriage so that we would understand the gospel, that Christ brings us from darkness to light, that he makes us pure and we become selfless we become molded into the image of Jesus does that make sense I mean it's a pretty simple word picture marriage simply shares the gospel and the picture is that our lives ought to be light that attracts and it ought to be water that cleanses that it doesn't in any way make it worse you're the water in which your husband bathes what will be the effect of 20 years of an I want more lifestyle You're the water in which your wife bathes. What will be the effect of 20 years bathing in your life? Not a hint of immorality, impurity, or greed. It cuts both ways. And both are destructive. Light into the path, water that cleanses. Number three, the picture of food. Back to our blueprint. The Bible says that Christ feeds and cares for the church. He nourishes the church. Again, can I just say, it's pretty amazing to me that Jesus would say, you are the light of the world, that you are reflecting his light, that Jesus would say for you and for me as uh, believers that our life ought to be like water, and he gives us the illustration of baptism. What is the illustration of food most closely tied with Christianity? Don't dare say potluck. Please don't say potluck. The Lord's Supper. Now, I know that potluck is closely related to Christianity, but the Lord's Supper is a picture that we partake of Christ. In fact, he said, every time you do it, you proclaim his death. And the Bible here says that our marriage ought to be nourishing to our lives. It ought to be enriching like uh, nutrient-rich food. It ought to give to us. Now, you know, there are different kinds of diet, just like there's different kinds of light and different kinds of water, there's different kinds of food. There are some that will affect your health in a great way and some that will greatly affect your health in a negative way. Cholesterol too high, blood pressure run rampant, salt that creates issues, and whatever else, junk food, sugar that runs the numbers in your blood, in your bloodstream adrift. Here's the question. What would a 20-year diet of you do for the health of your spouse? The people that are around you, what would it lead them to? Negative, critical, cynical? What are you feeding your wife? What are you feeding your husband? Praise and affection or indifference and criticism? Sarcasm or love? You see, all of this ties together and it comes straight from this sense of the text that Paul is saying there's this glorious mystery that God has given men and women whom he designed and created that way an opportunity to be united together even in their sinful state with the working of the grace of God in their midst to display the gospel to the world. I'm so thankful. Now for some of you today, My encouragement is you consider light that attracts, water that cleanses, and food that nourishes. You would look at your own life, and you would say, there are secret, hidden, sinful, shameful things in my life. I I would die if they were exposed fully to others. 
And you would say, I desperately need to be cleansed. I need to be cleaned. I, I wish that somehow I could be forgiven. And I'm starving to death for love and for affirmation and for forgiveness. And I desperately need that. Can I tell you today that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, offers cleansing and forgiveness and nourishment. He said that if you will come to him, he will give you living water and you'll never thirst again. Maybe today you need to be saved. Maybe today you need to come and just trust him and experience this flood of God's grace and love in your life. And maybe today you need to recognize that your life has been like a spotlight, a spotlight exposing faults in your spouse. And it's been like dirty water that they're steeping in. And it's been like junk food that is causing them a level of disease and unhealth. Maybe you need to repent today. You see, I offered in our definition two parts. It's a union of two sinners in whom God's grace is at work. And today, as I hold out humility and I hold out hope, would you recognize that God will take your act of humble submission if you'll simply come to him and say, God, I've made a mess of my life or I've made a mess of my marriage. And you can come to him today for he offers hope. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day and for this word. God, I pray today that there would be someone here who finds hope in Jesus for the very first time. That they would be courageous enough to step out from where they are and, and come and take one of our encouragers by the hand and, and be saved. They would trust you and recognize that you offer eternal life, unending. You offer them peace that passes understanding. There are many in here that have never experienced peace, true peace. God, there are people in this place that need to recommit their marriage fresh and new to you. I pray that they would do so even now. God, that they would take this time of decision, this time of invitation, and that they would get things right with you and with their spouse. And I pray it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together as we sing.